Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of CaliCube Tuesdays with Mark Bailin today. Uh, Mark seems to have frozen. I'm not sure if it's just me or if it's everybody. Uh, I'm in SE Rankings office going the wrong way there because I've been working with them this week. I'm in Kiev and I haven't traveled for a long, long time like most people. And this week I got to travel to Kiev and I'm having a great time. It's wonderful. Now, Mark seems to be frozen, so it looks like I'm on my own, unless it's me who's frozen. Just frozen. And Anton will be able to tell me Mark's back. Brilliant, wonderful. So that was a terrible start. <laughs> um, I'm sorry about that, Jason. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I was filling in time while I waited so I could sing you the song. A oh, quick hello, and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Mark Bialin. Well, thank you for that welcome, Jason. I feel just very welcomed. I, I, I don't usually get sung to, and no. I, think, I think more people should sing to me. I think that's a good tradition that you've started. So I would tend to agree. Singing is lovely. It makes you feel better. I mean, I was recording video this week, and what I learned was that when I get stressed with the script, if I sing a little song, I calm down, and I can read it right off the bat. Well, you nailed it. We, we had you on my show, and you sang at least one song and nailed it on that one. And so you've got a beautiful singing voice. Keep, keep it going. Thank you very much. And your show is called Suds and Search, which is all about being in the bath. That's right. That's right. So close. Uh, I can understand the confusion. It's generally uh, what happened was we started out. I live in a place in Chicago called Malt Row. So up and down the streets are breweries and agencies like Search Lab, which I own. And so we started out filming a video series in the pubs around my office. Then COVID hit. And we were no longer able to film in there. So I was devastated. My my colleague and partner in crime, Greg Gifford, said this is a real opportunity. You can talk to people like Jason Bernard now because they don't have to be in Chicago. Uh, and so it turned into more of a podcast where we had people from all over the world uh, come on. And we are uh, like 70 episodes in, something like that at this wow. point. And we've gotten to talk to some of the some of the really best minds in search. So it's, it's been an amazing, it's one of my favorite things I get to do. It, I wouldn't say even one, it is my favorite part of my job is oh, to yeah. do the podcast. And uh, so we still have a beer, but sometimes I'm like, it'll be nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not really drinking the beer. It's more of a right. prop, but it's sort of a tribute to our beginnings. Right. Yeah. Cause suds could be beer and it could also be soap. <laughs> it could also be so, yes. And so uh, I, I remember when you were on, you thought maybe we would be filming in bathtubs to each other, which is another, that's another idea for a show that maybe you and I could partner on <laughs> down the future. It sounds like a wacky uh, idea, but I, I do like the idea anyway. Brilliant. Right. So we're going to get on with this show now that we've talked about your show. And you mentioned your company and there's a bit of a surprise in your brand SERP because I always start off by looking okay. at brand SERPs of my guests. And if we look at your brand SERP, they're... You know, Mark Berlin, Search Lab Digital. We've got your Twitter feed. Uh, my name is there, Jason Barnard. As often mm -hmm. is the case with guests, I'm afraid I get my name into their image. Uh, what are they called? Pills, lozenges? Yeah. But the next one really surprised me because I clicked on the Google Maps link out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And this is what appears. Wow. That's it. Mark Berlin pulls up your company. Yes. In Google Maps. That's really interesting. So it is. It's I'm, mad, isn't it? I don't know what we did to 
to earn that, but I think that's really neat, right? I mean, right. Yeah, well, I mean, Google's seen that there's a relationship. It's seen that you are important to Search Lab, maybe not understood that you own it. But what I then did is I looked up your name and found the knowledge graph ID for it. And I would okay. assume that Google has an association between your name and the knowledge graph ID of your GMB. And there must be some kind of connection. Now I've just got to work out exactly how it all functions, how it fits together, and how that happens. Then I will try to do an experiment to make it happen for me too, because I'm jealous. I'm, I'm very interested. I Let me know your findings, because I would like to do it again. We, oh, we also have an office in Plano, Texas, so I would like to do that with that one too. And um, yeah, I, I, I've learned something already, Jason, so this is great. Brilliant. Right. So actually, we're not here to talk about your brand SERP or my super duper experiments. We're here to talk about local SEO. And you've actually given it a title strategic versus tactical local SEO. But it's not actually a competition at all, is it? I mean, there isn't really a versus. One of them's good and one of them isn't. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it's at the table here. So I maybe it would help to give a little context about what I do every day and how I got here. So I've been running SEO. So I've just realized something. I never let people introduce themselves. How incredibly rude of me. That's okay. <laughs> Please go ahead and introduce yourself, Mark. No, so I, I own a, a digital marketing agency known as Search Lab. We have uh, almost exactly 30 employees now. So we do paid search and local SEO, and that's it. It's chicken or fish. And we're very well known for these two big shot department heads that I have. So Greg Gifford runs our SEO division and Mark Irvin runs our paid media division. And it's a joy in my life to work with those two and everyone else on our leadership team. Every day I kind of run to work because it's really fun to work with them. Um, and yes. So it, the, the, the point is you're doing local SEO. You're a super duper expert working with two even bigger super duper experts yeah. in the super duper expert sense of the word rather than bigger in any physical sense. And you are the biggest fan in the world of strategic local SEO. I am. So I, I probably stumbled on this by making all the mistakes that I, I talk about. So I, I started out, I would do, uh, I'd start out with a new, new plan every month for every client. And I would have oh, a wow. blank, blank, you know, blank slate. And we would come up with uh, different tactics and I could do that. Okay. But the hard part was when I started to get more employees, that didn't go well. And so I've gotten more into, uh, you know, this idea of th focusing on strategies rather than tactics or using tactics as to form a strategy. And as we've gotten along, I really look at each client and I spend almost all my time thinking about the strategy and the process of the client. And then the, the hard part is how do you have, uh, it doesn't sound like a very good, very fun job to me, Jason, just a knockout task list every month to do the same thing over and over again. So how do you give your your people and uh, you know particularly our SEOs the ability to have some creative freedom while they're still tethered to something that's sturdy and it's a process that really really works? And so now that's a good really question that you just asked yourself. <laughs> I might as well just shut up and let you do your own interview. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's very interesting. So I think that's where it gets interesting. So yes, there's all these tactics that you need to do every month. You need to post to GMB, you need to do all that, but where is the seed Q and a answer reviews, all those things that we do. Um, but what, where's the creativity? And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, link building in particular uh, review management and working hand in hand with a client. So 
we will allow, we have an allotment of like three hours every month for what we call kitchen sink time, which can be anything that we, we want our employees to do. So if they really want to go and do schema every month, that's, that's great. If they want to work uh, on link building, that's great. But where I find it to be most, you know, creative, the, you know, the way you can be most creative is usually in link building, which is really the, the hardest and most important part of local SEO. Can I just ask a question about your kitchen sink time? Is the idea that everybody says, right, three hours a week, I'm just going to do one thing that I think is incredibly interesting. Do they work on that with the aim of integrating it into your strategy? Correct. So it would be one of two things. So kitchen sink can be a catch-all for, man, the client just really needs a lot of communication right now. Or it can be an opportunity for somebody to say, hey, I want to try something and run by my team lead and that seems like a good idea and then it becomes a part of the ongoing strategy so far as it as it works so i think it's been a really awesome tool for us and i think it makes it more fun for our people because it's like yeah it, it would get if all you did was just knock out the task list every single month and you didn't have any opportunity to try something for yourself i think it would be kind of a sucky job to be honest with you Right. And, and the other thing we're talking about, talking about kind of strategies is Hannah Thorpe was saying she's got kind of five or six and she just goes, this is going to be a good fit for this client, this one for another. And then she adapts it so that it actually fits with the client rather than trying to nail everybody with exactly the same strategy. Is that kind of similar to what you're doing? Totally. So we work with the same kind of client categories a lot. So we'll work primarily with automotive dealerships here in the United States. We'll work with lawyers and we'll work with medical people. And then there's a good slice. that's just everything in between. So if we get an automotive dealership, we're got a pretty good sense of what we want to do for that client. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not going to be, uh, you know, reinventing the wheel. And so we'll talk about it. We like a garden variety search lab client gets these things every single month. And so that's many of the things I mentioned already, where you're going to do, you know, posting and review management and uh, seating Q&A, and we're going to create content for you. You're going to do on-page optimization. But yeah, I think I think one of the things that I should probably talk a little bit about, Jason, is just like the limitations of tactical thinking. So where does that, where does that screw up, if, if you don't mind? Yeah. So, no, I don't mind at all. YouTube might. <laughs> but what I just heard there is a list of tactics, different things yes. that you can do and what you're saying, if I understand correctly, is you need to bring them all together within one strategy so they all work together and support each other. Correct. And so the important parts are how long is it going to take you to do that? When do you do that? What are you doing every day? What are you doing every week? What are you doing every month? What are you doing every six months? What are you doing every quarter? Those those are how you really define a strategy because if you're just kind of going like, well, today I feel like doing some GMD, GMB optimizations, or today I feel like doing some on-site optimization. Uh, it may go, you may go months upon months without ever actually checking on things that you need to check on, like reviews or link building or something like that. So without sort of the construct of, you know, time and uh, recurring, the recurring nature of these tactics, I don't think you have a very compelling strategy. And then you need the a lot the you need the allowance for some creativity, Jason. So like everybody's different. Even in car dealerships, this client is going to be different from a client who lives in, you know, Missouri is going to be very different than a client who lives in Dallas. And the approach to link building is going to be different. And the approach right. to review management is going to be different. So there needs to be an allowance for for creativity in every single strategy, I believe.
Right. I mean, you mentioned link building about 25,000 times in the last <laughs> 10 minutes. Is that Greg Gifford's influence? No, I mean, I was a link builder for a long time. So he definitely, I mean, we gel over, we have a lot of similarities. Um, you're right to say <laughs> his influence is really on the strategy. So I would say more than anything, he he has been the archety- architect of a lot of things I'm talking about. So it sounds like you've you've heard uh, him talk about link building ten thousand times, and now I'm talking about link building ten thousand times. That's because we work together. <laughs> we, we're we're sort of uh, we, we think alike, and I think so it I is. I thought you were going to say that's because it's important, and that's because it's important. And I think it's the most important thing. And so I think huh. of all the things in a competitive niche, like so, if you're a Ford dealer in Dallas, or if you're a personal injury attorney in Chicago, you better have a good link building strategy, or else you're, you're going to have a hard time. Right. Can can I quote you as saying links outgun reviews? I think you could. Yeah. And I, I think those are those are the two the two big ones. But I think in a competitive niche, I would rather, you know, I th- both of those should be part of your strategy. So I don't like to to make them competitive with each other, but I think for sure uh I would focus on links. Wow. Last week we had Russ Jeffrey from Duda who was making some sweeping generalizations like that and sticking his neck out. I love it. I love it when people say links are better than reviews and we can now quote Mark on <laughs> there that. You go. But okay, so you've got links, you've got reviews, you've got optimizing your Google My Business panel, you've got posts. Isn't one of the big problems for an agency getting all of that together so it all functions together and getting the client to join in and actually do the things you need them to do and they need to do. Because we all tend to say, oh, I don't really like that. I don't like link building. So I'll, you know, do less of it. Now you said something that I think is really important, which is the, the for all the genius that we have here with at Search Lab and all the strategy that we come up with, if we don't have client buy-in, it's really hard. It is really, really hard. So Sort of the process, if you want to think of it like a flywheel, all, the catalyst is the conversation with the client. So if you right. want to have a good, all right, you want to do anything in link building besides scholarships and unlinked mentions or something like that, you're going to need the client's buy-in. So we've had some really interesting events recently. We had a basically a help out all the restaurant workers in Detroit. A client of ours uh, did a did a really great campaign. Now that becomes much easier for us to do link building because they've got the idea, they're going to execute on the idea and we're just going to do, you know, outreach and uh, I'm sorry, link prospecting and outreach and measuring. And so it's really a blocking and tackling exercise. And then we come back to the client and go, okay, what are we going to do now? And it's, it works like a flywheel. So we've got a real good, uh, real good cadence going with that client to make sure that we're always doing something that can help get links that their competitors frankly can't. And so, mm-hmm. Right, sorry, but what struck me there and what struck me, I mean, Greg said it in one of his talks, one of his many talks, is basically the, the, the client, the local business needs to be doing things offline that actually do communicate with their real audience in the real community, in the real world. And Correct. you guys can build links on top of that. Exactly. So we're, we're, you're exactly right. So uh, are you a participant in your local community? That's the real question that you have to ask. And the clients that are hard to deal with are there. This very rarely happens where like a client goes, yeah, I don't give a shit about my community. I don't care at all. You know, like they just, they don't, they don't want I don't want to sponsor anything. I don't want to do anything. Usually they actually do care and they want to be a participant in their community. They see the marketing benefit to sponsoring a little league or to being involved in the local chamber of commerce or doing something locally. 
And so it's just about you coaching them and being a real consultant to that client about how they can be more involved and how that that involvement can benefit their SEO. Brilliant. Okay. And so, right, they, they've done their community entertainment, I was going to say, but that's probably the wrong word. You guys can build links. What about reviews? Getting uh, your clients to actually get the reviews? Because it is one of those things, it seems like a lot of effort. And a lot of companies think it's risky. Yeah. So I learned this from Aaron Wykey. And so I should give him credit, but I think demystifying reviews is really helpful. So three main ways that I think businesses can get reviews. And it's depending on what kind of a business you run, you should adapt some or all of these. So the best and most effective is just to ask people for a review. So we have jewelry store clients where this works really, really well because it's not a high volume of clients and a lot of there's a high touch point with the the actual person doing the work. And so just the personal ask is still the best way to to go about, you know, I, I think getting reviews and has the most effect. However, if you can imagine we have a, a client who's a, a pizza restaurant here in Chicago, they have thousands of clients. They can't personally ask or they can't train their staff to do all this. It would become impossible. So the the way that they've managed it is they will just leave some marketing on the table. It's a lower impact, but it doesn't really it doesn't really take a lot of effort on their part. And there's so much volume of customer that this is beneficial. So there'd be a placard on the table. There might be something on their receipt that says review us at at these places. There's a QR code to make it very easy for the customer. And maybe the manager will 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 say something to clients and have a personal ask. And then the third way is you can actually just use tools. So gather up is my preferred tool for doing this, but you can actually send out uh, to anybody who's in your CRM, you can send out an, an, an offer to, to make it really easy for them to leave reviews. But uh, there aren't, I mean, maybe there are four ways. Maybe you could have a guest down here who, who stumps me, but I think those are the three ways that I found it to be most effective. You have a personal ask, you use marketing collateral like a placard or a, a leave behind, or you, uh, you you very simply use tools like GatherUp. Right. Okay. And and what would you say to people, uh, company owners who are fearful about asking for reviews? I've had clients who say, well, I don't want to ask for review- reviews. They might give me a bad one. Yeah. So the, <laughs> it's a good, you can learn from your bad reviews. So if you have, if you're getting bad reviews, don't you want to know? Because that would mean that you probably got a problem with your business. So uh, be careful. Like, first thing, calm down. Businesses with an exactly five-star review rating tend to be less trusted than businesses that have like a 4.7-star rating. And so the idea is like people understand hmm. a business is going to have a bad customer experience at some point. If they have only five stars, then they're probably, you know, they're probably juking the stats, right? It doesn't look like a normal business would look. And so the the idea is it's okay to have some negative reviews. What you do with that negative review is really valuable. So I think that can be, you, know, you can learn about your, you can learn about your business more. You can learn about, hey, every time we get a negative review, it's uh, it's about Anton. What's wrong with Anton? Why doesn't he, <laughs> why, doesn't, why doesn't Anton ever get any good, good reviews? Uh, maybe the problem is Anton. I got to work with work on him instead of, you know, just trying to just trying to wing it every single time. Right. Yeah. And talking of Anton, he's actually just put another quote from you on the screen, which is four point seven is better than five. 
Yeah, so assuming a critical mass. So you only have like five reviews. You probably should have close to. But if your restaurant's getting hundreds and hundreds of reviews, you know, you it would be unusual if you had nothing but five star reviews. You would be like no business I've ever heard of. And so it looks more like an authentic business to have four point seven, four point eight stars rather right. than all five. Right. Yeah. I'm, I, I actually misquoted Anton. He said 4.7 is greater than five, which is a more interesting quote from Mark Berlin. And we'll be using that. <laughs> Next right. is you've put lots of effort into getting your reviews. How much effort do you put into reaching out to people for the bad reviews, trying to get Google, for example, and Google My Business to take out reviews that are maybe cheated or you don't feel are fair? The, the latter part is very hard. So getting Google to remove reviews that you don't like you can flag the review you can try and go through some hoops but i really caution you know any seo to promise that to your client that you're going to have a, a lot of success going down that route uh can be very hard there are some obvious things that can get that can help if they're using hate hate speech for example you could you could easily, easily get the review removed but in most cases it's kind of hard to ask google to like the person legitimately gave you a bad review it's pretty hard to get them to take it down so the more effective way is to reach out to the customer directly and right. talk to them and be a human being. So much of this, Jason, in local is just like kind of just being a normal human being. You you had a customer who had a bad experience. Don't you want to talk to them and try to correct it? Say, you know, what 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 did we do wrong? Is there something I could do to make your make your experience better? Would you like a gift certificate? Would you like to uh, Would you like to come in and talk to me? You know, whatever. Uh, a lot of times just hearing from the owner of the business or the uh, a senior person in the business is enough to to get them to change their mind, take the review down right. or change the sentiment. Next question is Google My Business. You, we just talked about actually reaching out to people at Google. And there are people at Google who actually deal with people like us. Mm-hmm. How much success have you had reaching out to the Google My Business people? Because I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this from the perspective of knowledge panels, for example. We can actually reach out to people. Obviously difficult, not always successful. My experience with Google My Business and reaching out to people there to get them to change things or to help me with a problem I've got or delete a, uh, a place that exists or is in Google My Business that doesn't truly exist. I've had quite a lot of success. And I tend to tell people I think Google are quite good at that, but I think that might be me being naive again. Yeah, I find it for the regular person out there. I I think the it's underwhelming. You know, the the, the the GMB support is not great. It's inconsistent. You will hear of the occasional success story, but it's it's pretty tough. What I would say has been a huge help to us at Search Lab is the product expert program. So. Greg is in the GMB product expert. He's in gold status. And then Hannah Borchek, who is our director of SEO, is a product expert. She's for for GMB and for Maps. So they have more of an ability to have a dialogue with Google, particularly if something is systemically wrong. So if there's a lot of problems, this is writ large in the industry, then they have more success. Um, They're privy to a lot of things that might be coming down the pike. So they they know what's going on. And then through that partnership, we have, you know, we have a great network of people, Jason Brown, Ben Fisher, Joy Hawkins, Colin Nielsen, all the people who are in that product expert program. Um, if there's something really, really specific, there's we're typically one phone call away from, from getting it from the product experts who then communicate mm-hmm. with Google. But for the layman, I, dude, I, I hate to say it, but I think for the 
just a normal person, it's very hard to deal with GMB support. I find it to be, I have heard of the occasional success story. It's not totally sure. worthless, but it's, it's, it's hard. Well, I, I mean, from my perspective, I don't know anybody at Google. I haven't got a gold medal like Greg has. <laughs> uh, I found Facebook I to be pretty good. I contacted them on Facebook. It started off with Bill, then it went on to Jill, then it went on to Ted. But in the end, they actually sorted the problem out. And another I, one that I had was um, an a, a MOT center that didn't actually exist. Yeah. And I, I rang them up, and they said, can you take photos? So I just took photos and, and said, here, it doesn't exist. And I took the same photos that you've got on Google uh, Maps, and yes. they, they deleted it because I actually took the same photos that they had on Google Maps and said, it doesn't look like that. Yeah, so the, the spam fighting, you can have more success with suggesting it in redressal form and the sort of tactics that you talked about. I, but you, I you think really that, have to hang on for dear life. Yeah. I mean, you can't give That's up. You know, and there, there's... Uh, Look, there's this this time thing that hovering over all of this. So it takes a long time to get through talking to this person to talking to this person to getting escalated to getting it approved. And meanwhile, your client's like suffering and you're like, oh, this is miserable. And so uh, sometimes I saw Jason had one that, yeah, it got solved, but it got solved after like four months. You know, it was a long time. And uh, that's not a terrific experience. You know, like it should be it's, it's something common sense that should have been done in a matter of hours, you would think. Sure. Okay. So now we've gone through link building, reviews, Google My Business. You were talking about posting on Google My Business. How useful is that? I think it's very useful. We do it every single week for every single client. So we do a lot of Google posts. Um, it's basically, the best way I could explain it, Jason, is basically like a free advertisement. You can put, so for car dealers, it's really helpful to put, you know, your oil change special or your new car special or something like that. And it it takes up this is now we're getting into your world a little bit, which is like if if we're doing a brand SERP for that auto dealership, now you can put that promotion right into your into your knowledge yeah. panel. And it's just one more opportunity. And it's almost so simple. It's like, why wouldn't you do it? I don't I don't understand why you wouldn't, because it, it operates a lot like a free ad for you. And it makes your knowledge, your knowledge panel look better. Uh, and very often you can you can attribute that to I think, what does Greg say? It can help your click-through rate and it can help your conversion rate to, to do posting. I think it's studies show. Right, okay. I mean, I've been trying posting for CaliCube for these events, for the CaliCube Tuesdays mm -hmm. events. Um, and obviously, we've had thousands and thousands of signups every week thanks to Google posting. Um, <laughs> that's not I, true, by the I, way. I feel you're being, yeah, I can sense the sarcasm, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, but what, what I was kind of thinking, and I was intrigued, is would it feed into the knowledge graph? Did it help with the knowledge graph itself? And the answer so far seems to be no. It really is that Google My Business is one vertical. The knowledge graph is another. They're both knowledge graphs in and of themselves, but they don't communicate horizontally. I think that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, like I don't, I wouldn't, they're, they're temporary too. They're not, you can't have a, a post forever. So uh it would make sense that those would be distinct from one another. And yeah, that, but we, we do it all the time. I think it's been effective, particularly for our small business clients. Calicube is one of the things is Calicube is a 
because your brand's hurt, maybe it still would be really helpful, but it's not exactly a local SEO company. You know, it's like, oh, you're, no. you know, it's, it, I, I think you would still get some benefit, but like not nearly the same as sort of a local small business. Just, just to be clear, I'm completely doing it as an experiment. It's nothing to do with actually getting people <laughs> to sign up or anything. And, and that actually brings us on to the question for CaliCube, at least, is we're not a local business, but if you're in Obey in the south of France, we are. Oh, really? That Google, the, the Google My Business will appear to show people how to get to our offices, even though there's nobody actually there. Interesting. And, and this is a problem for the bigger companies, is the Google My Business, if you're in their city, I was looking at Slack. If you're mm. in New York, it gives you Slack's offices rather than Slack's knowledge panel, which must be incredibly no, annoying for bigger businesses. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And this is part of the you know, local just has taken up so much. It, yeah, when I first started, you'd have a handful of results that ran through the local algorithm. Now it's like, I can't believe some of the things that like you put patio furniture, you'll see local businesses, not e-commerce providers. Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised, but yeah, I would, I would imagine Slack doesn't really want people to come to their office. They want people to see their knowledge panel, uh, go to their website, take a tour, take a demo, all those things. It doesn't go ahead and Going to actually do, click on driving directions to Slack does nothing beneficial to them at all. It, it, it's one of my beefs with Google. I mean, if I wanted to go to Slack's office, I would say, where is Slack's office? Or how do I get to Slack's office? Just Slack, the, the Google My Business stuff just doesn't make sense. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> Moving on from Google My Business, I'm intrigued by Yelp. Because in Europe, as far as I'm concerned, Yelp doesn't really matter very much. How important mm. is it in the U.S.? I think it's it's increasingly less important and oh, increasingly less important. You yeah. that. I thought we were going up, but we actually going down. Uh, more and more every day, it's it's becoming you know an unimportant thing. However, in my day to day life, it is really important. The, all my clients hate it when they get uh, a Yelp <laughs> review. So, for whatever reason, it's the bane of my existence because it's extremely hard. You think Google's hard to deal with? Yelp's impossible to deal with. And so I, I don't, the thing I always tell clients is like, I don't think this is a very important review engine. I mean, you still, all things being equal, you'd rather that be a, a you know, good rating than a bad one. But I don't think it's nearly as important as Google or Facebook or anything like that. So I, I, I would take it easy, but you can't help it. Like a lot of these small business clients, if they see a bad Yelp review, they really get frustrated or they think it's unfair and they'll filter good reviews all the time. So they have this really really strong filtering system that doesn't let through. Uh, I saw the Yelp, the Yelp gun one there down at the bottom. I'm, sorry, sorry to laugh, but yes. Uh, so my clients hate it. I don't think it's too terribly important. I think you should focus more on, on Google uh, in particular in terms of your review strategy. Right. Okay. Now, uh, social media platforms. There's a question for you. You've mentioned Facebook. How important are social media platforms? How, I mean, Facebook, I get it. Twitter, not so much. Not so much. I mean, I think I, I think there used to be this concept, Jason, of citations that was really, really valuable. You know, 2015, we were you know going nuts about citations in local SEO. Uh, Facebook happens to be a very important citation still uh, today, but I don't even know if I don't. You may be stumped me on this one, but I don't even think Twitter ever registered as a citation that I cared about that much, and. Mm -hmm. increasing again every day citations become less and less important and i 
I think you still want to make sure your name, address, phone number are you know consistent. You still have good good citations built out for Facebook, Google, Bing, all the major ones, and then you can use any number of tools. Moz has one. Bright Local has one to to finish automating your your citations. But beyond that, I don't think that you know social media plays a humongous part in you know, how Google ranks local sites. Right. Didn't want to cut you off, but we've got a great question from Andy Simpson. Mark, any thoughts on where Apple Local Maps is heading? Cheers. Yeah, it's a great question. Oh, that was my imitation of Andy. <laughs> Andy, thank you for the question. Yeah, so I, I think this becomes this becomes interesting as iOS becomes, it's, it's such a huge product. Everybody's on an iPhone. Uh, it's sort I'm of not. one of the, I'm sorry? I'm not. Oh, you're not. I, I shouldn't say everybody. No. Uh, uh, I should not say everybody, but it's a very popular device. <laughs> and uh, it's increasingly at battle with people. So it's in increasingly at battle with Facebook, as we know. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want to have people on their maps. So I think Apple becomes a more, I don't think it will ever be the same as like even Waze. You know, I think Waze is a more uh, appealing map, you know, map solution right now. Uh, but I do think Apple, because of the, it's such a behemoth, you have to pay attention to this, to Apple Maps and making sure that, again, your name, address, phone number, your, your citation consistency is good on Apple Maps, I, I think will be, be important and even more important in years to come. Right. Well, I mean, for the, for the enormous numbers of people who don't actually use the iPhone, like myself, how many who do use the iPhone actually use Apple Maps and how many use Google? Great question. So I think it would still be more Google. There's these <laughs> these funny things where people will use it by accident almost. It's like they, they've got the phone. It's just the default device. They're not super technologically advanced. They just, they're looking for a map and there it is. Um, I, I don't think that it's it's going to be an intentional thing for a huge number. But again, over time, you don't know how these things are going to sort out over time. Uh, I still think I have an iPhone. I still think, you know, my wife, for example, she, she'll just use Apple Maps. She doesn't use Waze or the things that I use. She doesn't use Apple Ma or Google Maps either. And so the default, you know, the default map on those, on those devices is a compelling number of people, even if it's not adopted by even 10% of them, you know. Right. Let's go even further and ask about Bing. Yes. Go on. Yeah. How does Bing work? I don't even know. <laughs> no, it's such a small, it's such small numbers. I get... Where I'm really interested, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, so catch, catch me up here, Jason. But where I'm really interested in Bing is on the paid side. So I really do like uh, spending money on, on Bing when I'm when I'm paying for the click because it's so much cheaper. And even if it's like, you know, 2% of the audience of Google, it's that's a lot of people. And the click is really cheap. So I'm I'm really interested in Bing. But a lot of the same behavior that I just described. So Bing tends to skew more to an older audience, it tends to be people who are on a Windows device, and it tends right. to be because it's a default engine. So that's it. And uh, and so if you're advertising to an older demographic, who's probably on a desktop computer, uh, there's some there's some interesting play with with Bing, and again, it becomes an important citation for you as you move forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I characterize Bing as being for little old ladies because they turn up on the computer and they don't know how to change. So they keep using Internet Explorer. Oh, it's now called Edge. 
and oh, yeah. Bing. And Frederick de Boe from Bing said, oh, oh, that's very rude. And it was very rude. Um, and he pointed out that a lot of administrations and larger companies with very strong firewalls will tend to be using, uh, you, they will tend to use Edge, which is an interesting point. But I'm trying to wonder, or I'm trying to think how anybody would actually be using Bing if they were on a mobile device. I can't think of very many opportunities. No, you got me stumped there. Yeah, I can't think of much. I mean, it, it really, to me, I think of it as a, uh, what comes to mind is desktop, an older audience, exactly what you described, like an older lady. So uh, <laughs> if, if you're trying, if, you're, if your audience is older, then there's a real opportunity there. And I think if you're looking for a value investment and you're paid, uh, this, can be a really, this can be a really good opportunity for you. Brilliant. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know as much about local search as I would like. I've gone through all the things that I thought of that should go into this strategy, that should build into this strategy now. Can you tell me what I forgot about that's really obvious and I'm going to look really foolish? Well, I think one of the things that comes up a lot are these one-time events that you have to do in local SEO. So uh, you have to, you know, I, I don't think this is rocket science, but you have to make sure you optimize your GMB. So do you have the right primary category selected? Do you have your business name exactly right? Those kinds of things generally don't change very often. But you still need to do site audits and you still need to make sure that you, you're doing keyword research and you're doing the sort of technical things that every SEO does. What I will say is I think we get over, we over focus on these one-time events, which is like your primary category, again, probably doesn't change after six months. But if you're auditing a site and it's like 10 pages, that's a pretty quick audit. Now you're going to create more content. When are you checking back on that? So when are you re-auditing the site over time? And so these time factors come into play where we're going to audit the content every six months. We're going to re-audit the site annually. We're going to do keyword research every six months. So there's going to be some time constraint here where these, these things become not just one-time events. They become something that you repeat on a regular basis. And so as the landscape shifts for a small business website, again, a lot of times we inherit sites that are like seriously 10 pages. So when Barry Adams talks about doing a site audit, that's not the same thing as like a small business, um, a small business that has very few pages and, and you know, probably on WordPress and there's a lot of built-in things that work very well for it. Okay, we've got two questions left and we're going to start with uh, Hans Knapp who's saying, what are your local SEO tools? Go on, do some plugs. So my, my favorite tool to plug are everything from WhiteSpark. I think Darren's brilliant and we love to use his tools. We use local places scout for a, a number of things in terms of reviews and grid mapping. So I love local places scout, bright locals tools are great. We use a little bit of Mazas tools in, in local, um, boy, I'm uh, trying to remember my P and L now, Jason, to remember like what I'm paying for, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> just but, get your know, credit card bill out. Yeah, exactly. get my credit card bill out. I, I'm blanking on somebody I know, but the, I, if I was anybody I could plug, I would plug white spark. Local Places Scout, those are two of the really great, I think, uh, local SEO tools that we use all the time. Brilliant. Okay. And you mentioned a website. Do you need a website? Why bother? Sometimes you don't. So much of local is a, is understanding how competitive the niche is. So if you're a taxidermist from you know, Kalamazoo, you might not need a website. You're right, because there's just there probably aren't two. You know, there's probably just you're the only taxidermist in town. You don't have to worry, really worry about going crazy. If you are, you know, in Dallas, Texas, there's something like 34 dealerships or something like that. And it's enormously competitive. 
and you do need a well. You need to really make sure you hone in. So, depending on the competitiveness of the vertical you're in, you can you can go either have a very inexpensive website or no website whatsoever. Brilliant. Brilliant. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just stumbled there. That was absolutely lovely. We've gone through pretty much everything. Have you got any closing words? Because what I've seen is lots of tactics that you said you build into a strategy by doing them within a process. And you've got this idea of coming back. You've done A, B, C, D, E, F. And then you come back and you do C and E and F on a regular basis. Is that about how it works? Yeah, but I think there's something that I would, I would rephrase there. So rather than thinking about it like chrono chronologically, I think of it sort of like in a circular way. So it's sort of more of a flywheel that return to, you return to these things very often to make sure that you're repeating yourself, you're, you're, you're continuing to do the things that are most effective. I think one of the things that's challenging is when we, we look at somebody who's performing well in local SEO, um, they're having success. Just a conversation I hear a lot of times is a tactical one. It's like, what are they doing? Are they doing a bunch of sponsor links? Are they doing uh, some sort of hack to GMB? And in reality, what I've seen over the course of my career is that usually the campaigns that do well for a prolonged period of time, where it's not just a game of whack-a-mole, where they're here today and gone tomorrow, but they do well for a very long period of time, they incorporate a lot of things, maybe even hundreds of minor things over the course of many months and it's sort of that gumbo of a bunch of different things that, that actually lead to results. And it's the hard work of doing that every day, every week, every month um, to, to get the results that you need. Brilliant. Wonderful stuff. Do you want to answer that last question from John? Um, I didn't is, see it. Is there, oh, hang on. Is there integers that, no, that was, how do you incorporate locals in your campaigns? Does he mean local people? Yeah, or local something mm -hmm. else that I haven't understood. I mean, my question there would be, how do you get the people around the company to help to promote the company within the area you're living in? I.e. get your customers engaged in what you're trying to do and get them to recommend and talk about you offline and presumably online. Yeah, so I think that's what it means. So I, I would say, yeah, that's uh, taking some of that, that word of mouth stuff and as much of it as you can get online, the better. So... Uh, whether that means reviews or uh, in, a, in, a, in a really simple sense, you know, social proof. So if you have reviews from people who are happy with your service, getting those reviews on GMB is very helpful. I think we, I said links are more important than reviews earlier on, but I think reviews are really, really important. So I don't want to discount those <laughs> at all. The more you can get the sentiment, the positive sentiment from the people who are in your town to appear online, the better off, the better chance you stand to have. Yeah, which is a lovely conclusion because it basically means you need to focus on the people you're actually seeing in your shop every day or every week or whatever it might be. Make sure they're happy and take that offline stuff, bring it online. But you know, if people are happy with your service, that online uh, communication and peer or not, it's not peer, is it? It's uh, what's it called? It's <gasps> No, peers would be other people who work in the same industry, but basic, social proof, that was the term you used yeah. earlier on. The social proof builds itself. Thank you very much, Mark. That was absolutely brilliant, delightful, and wonderful. And I'm going to introduce next week's uh, – we don't have time for any more questions. I'm really sorry, Nicole. I'm going to introduce next week's episode, if we can have that. It's Erin Sparks, and he's going to talk about being a media company – if you're a marketing agency, so we're a media producer, 
Erin's delightful. Erin's really good at uh, podcasts and media stuff, and I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say about why marketing agencies must become media producers. Absolutely brilliant. You get the outro song, Mark. Coming from Kiev, the offices of SE Ranking, who are a great tool and delightful people. Thank you very much. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jason. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Brilliant, wonderful.